0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times.
1: Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we analyse the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan and I cover science and environment for The Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty.
0: Hi, I'm David and I'm the Climate Change Editor at The Straits Times.
1: It is May 13. Today, we discuss nuclear energy and whether this controversial energy source can help countries meet their climate change targets. Singapore, for instance, is preparing itself for the possibility of using nuclear to supply up to 10% of its energy needs by 2050. With us today is Dr Matthew Lloyd, a research fellow at the Singapore University of Technology and Design who does research on materials that can be used in the nuclear process. Thanks for joining us on the show, Matt.
2: Hi, Audrey. Thanks for having me.
1: Let's just go back to the real basics. What exactly is nuclear energy?
2: Yeah, so in most power stations around the world right now, um, we're using something to generate heat. So renewables are a little bit different. But in fossil fuel power stations, we're either burning coal or natural gas to release um, energy. And we can use this energy to heat up water into steam, which we can then use to power turbines, which can produce electricity. So in a nuclear reactor, what we're doing is we're using uh, another source to produce this heat. So we're using effects that occur in the nucleus of atoms to do this. So in nuclear fission, which is what powers um, all of today's reactors, we use the uh, nucleus of a large atom, such as uranium or plutonium, and we use um, neutrons, which are small subatomic particles that have no charge. So when a large atom, such as a uranium, uh, absorbs a neutron, it becomes unstable and it splits into two smaller fragments. So this process releases large amounts of energy as well as several uh, neutrons. So this is important because these neutrons that are emitted can then be used to initiate uh, further fission events in other atoms. So this is the basis for a nuclear chain reaction. So in a, in a reactor, by maintaining the rate at which this splitting occurs, We can use this to continuously generate heat to produce the steam that we need to power turbines. So the reason why this is clean and a low carbon source of energy is because unlike fossil fuels, these reactions are not releasing greenhouse gas emissions. The only emissions that are coming from nuclear power stations are water vapor from condensing the steam that we're heating up. Furthermore, it's um, it's also quite energy dense. So you can build these power stations in a relatively small footprint. So unlike renewables, which typically require a large amount of space, we can minimise the kind of damage to the local ecology by doing this. So therefore, in my view, this is why um, nuclear is undoubtedly a, a green energy source that can help us combat climate change.
0: But after nuclear disasters like Chernobyl and Fukushima, people are wondering about how safe this form of energy is. When did people start experimenting with nuclear energy and how has this technology changed since then?
2: So nuclear fission was first investigated in the 1930s and 40s, and much of our early understanding of these processes um, came from the development of nuclear weapons. So in the years that followed the development of these weapons, the scientists and the engineers involved in these projects were keen to use some of this uh, understanding to generate something positive for society. And so this really is what led to the, um, the first kind of nuclear reactors coming online in the um, 1960s and 50s. So these devices were often kind of first-of-a-kind uh, power stations. But after this, up until the, the 80, in the 1980s, uh, we started to see the building of many so-called second-generation power stations around the world. So nuclear power is uh, one of the safest energy forms that there are, and accidents are extremely rare. So if you look at the number of deaths per unit of electricity produced, nuclear power is comparable to most renewables. This is because, um, and it's extremely, uh, it's considerably better than fossil fuels, for example, where things like air pollution can cause serious health problems. But many people are hesitant about nuclear power. and I think it's really important that we don't just brush off these concerns. it's important that we address people's um, fears about this. So for example, uh, Germany decided to phase out nuclear power entirely in the wake of the Fukushima disaster. But because um, this reduction in um, supply was not met with increased renewables, this led to an increase in the amount of fossil fuels being used to generate electricity. So burning fossil fuels uh, releases air pollution, which has a major impact on people's health. So there are some estimates showing that there was uh, hundreds of increased deaths as a result of this decision to phase out nuclear power. Furthermore, in the wake of the disaster at Fukushima, many modern designs have been updated to enhance the safety further to try and prevent such an accident from happening again. These include passive safety features which are always active and don't require any input from an operator to activate. There's also new technologies which uh, we may come on to, I guess, talking about things like molten salt reactors small modular reactors and nuclear fusion, which um, further enhance the safety.
1: So, Matt, I think, you know, you mentioned Fukushima and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there were no deaths arising directly from, from that disaster, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. So I think in the immediate aftermath of the accident, there was um, uh, not any effects attributed to the radiation directly. But there's, there's also a risk of increased rates of cancer as a result of exposure. But these things are very hard to, to quantify.
1: So, I mean, on that note, I think many people are also concerned about the issue of radioactive waste. So how has safety developments been in this area?
2: If you think about nuclear, all of the waste is carefully monitored, carefully tracked and disposed of. The, the other point is that the vast majority of the waste produced in nuclear reactors is has a relatively low level of radioactivity. So this can be quite easily disposed of without endangering the public. But a small fraction of this waste that's produced is highly radioactive, and this primarily comes from the fuel that we're using. And so this is what needs to be carefully monitored. So plutonium is a byproduct of fission in, these, in uranium. This can be used to make nuclear weapons. So it's important that these small quantities of high-level waste are very carefully accounted for. All of today's high-level waste is usually it's usually stored in um, large water tanks. Um, so for example, all of the high-level waste generated in the UK is, is typically stored in a few storage pumps about the size of a swimming pool in the UK in one site. So not as much as people might think. But this isn't really a long-term solution. So Long-term disposal op- options are not currently online but should be um, are expected to be online in the coming years. Um, these are typically deep ge- geological disposal facilities where we will encapsulate the waste in something to prevent any release and bury them deep underground where they can't have any impact on the general public.
0: Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode.
1: You did mention earlier that your research looks into material used in the nuclear process. So maybe can you elaborate more on what you're looking into?
2: Sure. So when I say materials in our research, I'm typically talking about the materials that we use to build the reactor rather than the fuel itself. So in fission, I mentioned that this high-level waste comes from the splitting of the fuel, right? So the fission process itself. So this is kind of an unavoidable consequence of nuclear fission. But in fusion, which is a little bit different, we don't have this splitting of big atoms. So fusion uses um, two element, two isotopes to produce fusion. These are called deuterium, which is stable, and tritium, which is radioactive, but is very short-lived. So it very quickly just decays away. Building a fusion reactor, though, is very challenging because of the extreme conditions that the materials are expected to operate in. So the center of a fusion reactor is many times hotter than the core of the sun. So we need really advanced materials to deal with these challenges. Um, and that's kind of where our research is focused in developing these materials. Another issue with, that we have with building a fusion reactor is that the process itself produces huge quantities of neutrons. So these small subatomic particles that I mentioned before, and these are produced in the fusion of the two, um, the two isotopes, the two atoms. So as these neutrons are produced in the centre of the reactor, they travel outwards and they interact with the different components of the reactor. So for example, the thermal shields or the fuel breeding modules. And with such a large quantity of these neutrons, they can actually induce radioactivity in the components themselves, so the components of the reactor. So we need to design these materials really carefully so that we can minimise this waste production so this kind of brings me on to our research here at SUTD, where we're looking, we're looking to rapidly screen promising alloys for radiation tolerance in the hope that we can use these to build components in a fusion reactor.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about fission energy versus fusion energy. Why is fusion energy generally considered safer than fission energy, given you mentioned around heat and also around uh, neutrons? Uh, affecting the surrounding materials, for example.
2: Yeah, so fission, um, like I said, is the splitting of these heavy atoms into smaller pieces. And operating plants using fission is all about balancing this chain reaction that's occurring. So we need to either prevent it from, from stopping where the reactor will stop heating up or from running away and causing a problem. But fusion is kind of a different way of using nuclear interactions to generate heat. So this is what happens in the core of our sun. So um, when two light atoms such as um, hydrogen or different isotopes of hydrogen uh, join together to form a larger nucleus, they actually also release um, large quantities of energy, actually more energy than we would release in uh, typical fission reactors. The problem with this is that these nuclei are positively charged. And so they want to repel each other. They very strongly repel one another. So to force them together to overcome this repulsion requires a lot of energy to initiate that process. And this is really the reason why we don't have fusion power stations today, because this process is very difficult. So you can imagine in the core of the Sun where this happens naturally, you have the whole mass of the Sun pressing down to force these atoms together. So research into this um, has been going on for many years. But unlike fission, which is comparatively easy, fusion doesn't involve a chain reaction. So, this prevents something like a meltdown from happening where the fuel gets too hot. So, on Earth, to try and produce this process that happens in the sun, we use really, really high temperatures. Um, There's actually a a few ways we can do this, but typically we're heating gas of hydrogen until it forms a plasma. So, if we give this gas enough heat, enough energy, the atoms of the fuel can overcome this repulsion and fuse together. Because we're um, using all this energy to force um, atoms together, To force um, nuclei together. If there's a problem with the reactor and this heating stopped, we don't have a chain reaction going on, so the plasma very quickly dies away and the reaction stops, unlike in a fission reactor where we have a a chain reaction. But yeah, like I said, this process is very difficult and this is kind of the reason why we don't have something like this on Earth today. So uh, currently the world's largest experimental reactor is being built in the south of France. It's a device called ETAIR. This is a a large international collaboration between, I think, um, seven countries or more. And this is costing around 20 billion euros. So this is a really expensive project. First prototypes like this are often expensive. And the hope is that as the technology matures and commercial devices come online, that the price will fall. So one of the major drawbacks with fission and fusion when compared to other sources, such as renewables, is that. The upfront cost for building this, these reactors is quite high. And this can be a barrier to deploying these things. So renewables are undoubtedly part of our energy mix and need to be um, expanded. But I don't believe that renewables alone can currently supply all of our energy needs in the world.
1: So it sounds like a fusion plant is still some years or even decades away. But you did mention another development in nuclear energy is that the reactors are now smaller. So how does that make nuclear energy generation through fission safer?
2: So the term small modular reactor covers quite a lot of different designs and the safety features depend very much on the specifics of the design. But many of these are incorporating these passive safety features that are included in the larger modern reactors. Another aspect is that because they are smaller, Uh, it's a lot easier and cheaper to build the kind of containment structures that you need around a reactor to protect it, so um, to protect the public in the event of an accident. So this also helps to bring down costs. And some designs, crucially, can actually cool themselves down naturally, independently of external power. So for some designs, if power was lost, like in Fukushima, the reactor would naturally cool itself down to prevent a meltdown. So things called a core catcher underneath the reactor to... um, to catch this molten fuel and spread it out so that it can cool down safely. But getting back to small modular reactors, I think that having less fuel in a single reactor helps to reduce the impact of an individual meltdown. So if one plant had a problem, I think it's a lot easier to um, contain that and deal with that safely without affecting the operation of the other devices. So this is important for Singapore as well, where land is very scarce and we may not have room for a large-scale renewable deployment. But these kind of reactors are usually built quite far away from population centers, which may also not be feasible in Singapore. So there are some things that that can be explored for this, such as having reactors floating on barges somewhere or perhaps locating smaller devices on some of the islands away from population centers. But they could also be built underground to protect the public in the event that there was an accident. So this is something that has been explored in the past but isn't really used in today's reactors. Um, but if the reactors themselves were smaller, it might make this easier to, to engineer. So it might be easier to bury these underground to protect the, the wider public. So again, this placing these underground could affect the cost and make them more expensive. But again, smaller reactors are designed to try and reduce this cost further.
0: So globally, there are about 30 countries that are using nuclear energy now, I believe. And with recent developments and shortages of fossil fuels worsened by the war in Ukraine. Do you think more countries are warming to the idea of nuclear energy?
2: So Yeah. um, Many countries around the world have been using nuclear power for a long time and have a history of operating them safely and reliably. These include the USA, South Korea, Sweden. These are all, all countries that have been operating reactors for decades. And Actually, France is a really good example of a country that a lot of people don't often think about when it comes to nuclear. But France has produced um, something like over 70% of its energy from nuclear in the past decades. And that means that France, if you look at its cumulative emissions over the the years, France has one of the lowest cumulative emissions of any nation in Europe. So despite this high cost of building power stations as well, the stability of energy production in France and the decision to expand nuclear has meant that it, on average, has lower energy prices than its neighbours. And actually, this is... The deployment of nuclear is growing around the world. So I think this is partially caused in response to the, the war in Ukraine, which has highlighted vulnerabilities in many countries' energy strategies. So phasing out nuclear power um, in countries that already have uh, nuclear power deployed has led to an increase in fossil fuel usage. Increasing renewable usage also really leads to the, an increase in the amount of natural gas usage. And this is because, as renewable capacity is increased, um, we have an increase in supply variability. So to offset that, we need something to quickly generate energy in case the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing. And nuclear isn't really well-suited for doing this, so that means we're usually using natural gas. We're burning natural gas because it can quickly span up and quickly offset this reduced supply. But what this has means, so both of these together has meant that many countries have been increasing their reliance on uh, natural gas imports, and particularly from Russia at the moment. And this has led to really um, difficult situations, particularly in Europe, for example, in Germany, which has decided to close down its power stations. Actually, wanting to reduce natural gas imports from Russia has actually led to a increase in coal burning and the associated um, damage that this does. So burning coal actually emits more radioactivity to the environment than nuclear power stations do, just because of the trace impurities of of these elements in in the coal.
1: Thanks for joining us today, Matt, in explaining this little-known but controversial source of energy.
2: Thanks very much, Matt. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in The Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts.
0: That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices.